Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 16, thank you. 
Uh, it, it, or he plays, he leaves intact a pretty major role in the party, maybe now. I mean, it's just, yeah. he doesn't, he's he's undamaged, and he's he's risking a lot by staying in it. Well, I, I think you're 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 absolutely right. I'm not sure he's undamaged, but that depends on where you come from. Um, I saw an interesting movie last night. I was um, down at the the Sony um, Pictures uh, lot, and there's mm-hmm. a, a number of private uh, little screening rooms there, and uh, saw a um, a preview of uh, Robert Greenwald's uh, new movie called The Koch Brothers Exposed. Uh, I'll oh, be brother. happy to send you a copy. <laughs> we should do. Why do we interview him? I don't think that. I think they're very private, and so maybe you know, so maybe it would be an expose. Um, uh, you know, I mean, at least my impression, and I don't know a lot about them, but I think they they tend to not. They're the type of people who hire ad agencies to keep them out of the news. It's like the Rothschild family. Or, or they spend the uh, uh, Americans for Progress to do their dirty work for them, but uh, this was a great this was a great uh, little uh, premiere. Um, the uh, remember uh, Mash, the TV show? Yeah, well, sure. Haw- Hawkeye was there. No oh, brother. And, and a number of other. T- t- Alan uh, Alda, you mean? Yeah, Alan Alda, uh, a number yeah. of other television yeah. stars. Uh, but you know, they were funders of the movie. So it, there was, you know, a Hollywood party beforehand. We went into a private screening room and we saw the movie. And then, <laughs> then Greenwald came out and talked about it. I'll send you a copy. We have to take a break right now and uh, introduce our, um, our our affiliates. So don't go away. Okay. Line the crosses in a path The wire highway of the telegraph On a sea of weary snow Like a picture of long ago And I was riding And that was Big East, Big West from Stevens He's going to be with us Friday at 2.30. I want to welcome our radio affiliates. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. And I welcome our listeners on 1490 WWPR in Tampa Bay, Bradenton, Florida, the home of the Republican National Convention this summer. Congratulations on that. And KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon, the home of a great Shakespeare festival, one that I try to get to whenever possible. I'm co-hosting today's edition of Fairness Radio from Los Angeles. Chuck Morse is in Boston. He's my co-host. You can be here. You can join us by email at fairnessradio at gmail.com. You can also call us, 424-675-6806. And after the show, don't forget to check out our our website, fairnessradio.com. Well, another thing that happened uh, yesterday is, uh, Chuck, you probably saw this. It was the... One woman's ultimate um, protest against the GSA searches at the Denver airport. Did you see that? I heard about this. I didn't. I, I haven't been following this. Well, for for our uh, our listeners who didn't see it, and I do mean see, she just got frustrated and just stripped down totally naked. <laughs> oh, brother! 
and shocked everybody. They, the GSA people actually didn't really know what to do. They kind of sort of stood around, and, and uh, some of them sort of pretended like she wasn't there. And, and, and this was, you know, a, a, a fairly attractive woman just standing there saying, okay, search me. <laughs> oh, I'm naked. <laughs> Get it over with. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, eventually uh, they had her put her clothes back on, and she got back on the, uh, the airplane. But uh, needless to say, it was a, um, a diversion at the, the Denver airport yesterday, and I don't recommend it. I don't know if she No, well, well, she's making a political statement, obviously. Yeah. And you know that, that it's like burning the flag, or it's, it's like burning a Koran. You know, you're making a political statement. Which brings up an interesting airport, a uh, rather an interesting uh, question. If that's a political statement, then it's constitutionally protected. Uh, yeah, I, I would think it was would be. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I mean, it, it could get into some local laws that she might have been violating. You know, the, the public decency, exposure, that sort of thing. Well, but no, I, I mean, well, the, that's, yeah, that's federal property, though. It uh, doesn't matter. Area. It's still federal property is still under the jurisdiction of the state. Hmm. I mean, okay. it's not. You know, it's uh, unless it's the only federal property that's absolutely under the jurisdiction of the federal government is Washington D.C. and I believe embassies and things like that. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I thought that you know national forest and, th- and military bases no. and things like that didn't have to abide by local Mil- regulations. Military bases, maybe, but no. I think that national the national forest, first of all. That takes up almost 50% of the uh, territory of the United States west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, it's I huge. Enjoy them I mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and the federal like government manages them, but they're still part of the states. I mean, it's not, you know, that's not like a, a district, yeah, you know, I'm legally. Yeah, you're right. I, I was on the board of a of a camp for a while that was in federal, uh, a federal and national forest, and we did have to deal with the county and the state as well as with the local uh, forest ranger. So you're right there, but... Uh, even then, um, if this is a political statement, then her First Amendment rights would be enforceable under local law, too, I believe. Right. No, the, the political part of it would be her right, but yet there are other things that, that bring up questions. I mean, she, as I said, you know, decent, you know, public exposure. You know, you're not allowed to take your clothes off in public, right? I mean, that's, uh, those are more state and local laws. Well, there actually is a, a an odd little quirk in California, and that's at the University of California at Santa Barbara, which is on the beach, and that's state territory, that's state property. The, right. The, there is a um, a local ordinance in Santa Barbara against nudity in the beach. There doesn't right. happen to be a state ordinance against it, and the students have figured it out, and they know where the state beach is and the local beach starts, and they... And on on sunny days, you can go out there and you can see uh, plenty of students with their clothes off, carefully ensconced on the state beach. They do the same thing in Martha's Vineyard. There's a beach like that. So but, you know, but, I, and I know what you mean. It's a uh, different jurisdiction. But would you want to take your clothes off at Martha's Vineyard? Isn't it cold? Not in the summertime. Oh, okay, all right. But, but you know, I- Patrick, you you can't take your clothes off and walk down the street in Santa Monica. I certainly hope not. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I mean, it's just it depends. They're obviously going, you know, going through a local zoning loophole to do that. And, and if I did, a lot of people would say, "Please, please, we'll pay you to put them back on." <laughs> Patrick, just briefly, you sure. saw the Koch brothers movie. Yeah. Uh, what what kind of dirty work, in a nutshell, is the are the Koch brothers having this uh, the the Center for uh, Prosperity do for them? Uh, the the uh, Americans for Prosperity. Um, right. According to the, the the 
the film and the documentation that, that went along with it and the experts that talked to us, um, the, the Koch brothers are the major funders for Americans for Prosperity, the Cato Institute, the Reason Foundation, and the Heritage uh, Foundation. And right. uh, with uh, the uh, uh, Americans for, for Prosperity, the, the Koch brothers use it to try to stifle EPA enforcement of pollution control laws against Koch brothers' refineries and pipelines, etc., and uh, which is why all of a sudden the Tea Party movement, which started off as, as um, against uh, big government, big corporations, and and uh, and over and and uh, giving away money to banks, all of a sudden became an anti-regulatory movement. And uh, according to Robert Greenwald's documentation, it was because the Koch brothers said, "We want to turn this." this grassroots movement into a top-down directed movement that can help us avoid pollution control laws. That, that's well, Patrick, first of all, I, I think that the Tea Party movement generally has not been, I wouldn't say anti-regulatory, but I would say in general they've stood for smaller government and, uh, and they've been against bad regulation. I mean, don't forget they started with complaining about federal regulations regarding Fannie and Freddie. But as far as the Koch brothers wanting to do something that would help this specific refineries, um, was this, you know, wasn't this much more of an issue of exposing the EPA in general? I mean, it wasn't, you know, you, know, you could say, well, they have a self-interest in it, and that's fine. I don't doubt that. But I think it was a general exposure of the EPA and what they claim are excesses in, in their authority and, and, and going over their, their, their purview. Well, the, what uh, the, the Koch brothers and the American Petroleum Institute claim is, is an excess of authority uh, is exactly what uh, the, the law requires the EPA to do. What they're trying to do is to constrain that authority. They've been able to cut down the EPA's ability to enforce the law by, by throttling its, um, its funding. But uh, in this okay. case, they were trying to get changes, uh, actually congressional complaints, and they got a lot of congressional complaints against EPA that for – enforcing regulations that were, you know, on the books and, and were real. And these are regulations that prevent its, its refinery, say, in Corpus Christi, from, uh, from putting cancer-causing, uh, and again, I'm quoting from the movie here, cancer-causing um, uh, debris into rivers that flow through, through communities. And in one community they were saying that four out of five people on one street got cancer, and one of these, right. these creeks was right behind them, and they were using a, a local creek as a sewer, which is against federal regulations. They also point out that what they did is they listed all the money that the Koch brothers give to various congressmen, and then they match that against uh, bills and statements by the congressmen in favor of the Koch brothers. And it's it's pretty it, it's over the top because it's Robert Greenwald, and and he does things over the top. But uh, it's also well documented, and uh, I will I'd be happy to to ship you a copy or actually give you a website where you can download it. And, and I'll ask Robert if he'll come on the air. I know he's a little he frequently doesn't. Um, do interviews, but uh -huh. um, it, uh, it, it's just not what he does. He's he's not he, he he's a filmmaker. He's not a debater, and, and he knows it. Uh, he's also right. uh, a, a very nice guy, and he hates to get into arguments. He does them all on film. But I'll ask his communications director if we can get a representative, possibly, to come on the air after you've had a chance to look at the film. Okay, Patrick. I w let me just say that I believe, and again, I'm not that much of an expert on it, but I've been following it somewhat that the complaint against the EPA is a very broad and general one in that uh, it's said that they have exceeded their authority in many cases. 
Now, I, I don't know the specific case, and I, you know, I'd have to maybe hear the other side of the story, but the overall impression is that they have gone into situations that are beyond, above and beyond their original mission, and, and there's, a, there's an understanding in Congress that they need to be somewhat reined in, not abolished, but just, uh, you know, you don't want to have them getting involved with uh, areas that they really shouldn't be doing or, or that are beyond their purview. So I think that when the Koch brothers want to get into that cause, you can say that they have a self-interest. I don't know if that, you know, that may be true, but I think that they're not singling out something just for themselves. They're getting into it as an overall public policy issue. Well, you're you're right. The the Koch, the, uh, the two Koch brothers uh, and their father, but uh, are uh, very strong libertarians. Their father, who made his fortune building oil wells for for Joseph Stalin, uh, yes, was the mm-hmm. founder of the John, with one of the original funders of the John Birch Society. They're also uh, that were raised in the John Birch Society, so they're very libertarian. They don't want any government regulation at all. They've made it very clear. They've said that. Patrick, I have to ask you a question about that right away. How can uh, you say that the father was working with Stalin and a founding member of the Birch Society? I mean, the Birch Society, if if there's one thing we can say about them, they were virulently anti-communist. Yes, I know. (laughs) So how how do you say that the father could have been doing both things? I mean, I don't know his biography, but... That seems like something that uh, I don't know. I have to look into that. Yeah, according to the biography laid out in the movie, and I've read this in other places too. Uh, in the '40s, he made right. his original money by by essentially developing the oil fields for Joe Stalin. Sure. After he made his money, he came back here and he had a change of heart or whatever, or more likely, he decided he didn't want to uh, deal with a government that that controlled him in any way. So he was he helped fund the John Birch Society. You know, people change. That may be. I, I mean, the Birch Romney Society wasn't founded until the I, late 1950s. Uh, yeah, I understand. So, so, you'll have so to maybe look. I mean, and a lot of people were, of course, trading with Stalin back then. I mean, Occidental Petroleum, the Harriman Brothers. You know, you had uh, a lot of IBM. Of, of, uh, yeah, IBM, sure, and they they, they also traded with. No, no question. They did they, one and the same, Patrick. You know, yeah. I make that argument. I mean, they yeah. all did it. Now, whether or not he had a change of heart, he probably did. I don't know. Yeah, he probably did. Of course, did. it's easy for him to do that after he made his fortune, and that's questionable. The, uh, the, the answer to your question, they have maintained that libertarian uh, political streak, and they use sure. their money to, to found uh, libertarian organizations like the Heritage, uh, like Heritage and Cato, et cetera, and they are using it. Uh, they also are big funders of ALEC. Uh, they are using it to move yep, the their, own, uh, their own particular political philosophy through the American government. They're also uh, behind the, uh, the the vote suppression laws, too. They they would like to see as few people as possible vote because that makes their power stronger when there are fewer people to oppose them. So, and again, Well, Patrick, I support most of those things. I know you uh, the only thing I would add to that is that they also tend to be socially liberal. I think they're big funders of gay marriage in New York State, that, that initiative. That, that could so, be, and of course many libertarians are. And, and he also, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not quite, you know, I wouldn't quite say that they're real conservatives. I mean, the libertarians are interesting. It's a, it's, I mean, they've had a profound effect on conservatism, and in the broad sense they're conservative, of course, because they stand for limited government and they they don't believe in the state you know they believe that the state is an artificial entity as it were but they're not social conservatives 
I will take your word on that. Uh, David, uh, there was a, a clip of a speech that David gave when he talked about he actually was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, right. he, he was cured, uh, or at least is back in remission. He set up the big cancer research lab at MIT. He's an MIT graduate. Yeah. Um, we didn't. They didn't get into their social um, uh, politics. And, and you're right. M- many libertarians are um, are in favor of gay rights and, and uh, abortion. Very rights socially liberal. Because, yeah, because they don't want the government to control your personal mm-hmm. life too. So, and you can be both. You know, there are yeah, many, many. A good example that of that. Ayn Rand. Wealthy people are both liberal, uh, socially liberal, and fiscally conservative. And, uh, however, I, uh, at least from what I saw and what I've read, the reason they're in favor of small government is because they're a big company and only a small government and only a big government can regulate a big company, and they just don't want to be regulated. They think they should be able to do anything they damn well please, pollute the water, pollute the atmosphere, abuse their workers, whatever they want. Nobody should be able to tell them any differently. And uh, th- there was one instance in which they got well. together with George Bush. They had a $30 million fine uh, from the EPA, which was upheld by a court, and they enlisted George Bush, uh, at the, who was president at the time, to force the EPA to negotiate it down to uh, $10 million. So they are not above sure. using politics to save themselves money. I'm getting a note here that says we have to take a, a quick um, uh, station identification break, and we'll be right back. All right. Said, baby, I'm done, and he pushed back his plate. The sky was as dark as the hour was late. Took the fat with the lean and the hot with the cold. But I'm hungry for love. Love, hungry for love. Down by the river where the silver moon shines And I'll read my reflection like the book of my mind I've been dreaming of rainbows and rumors of gold That was Black Sheep by Stephen Fearing. Stephen's going to be with us this Friday at 2.30, and you can call in and talk to him. And you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and on our radio affiliates, and we're talking politics today. And uh, like I say, Friday we, we we do music in the afternoon, and you can call in. You can call in now, 424-675-6806, or you can email us. You can, Even though we don't have a guest on, you can email and, and debate with Chuck and myself uh, on EPA, the Koch brothers, whatever comes to mind. Uh, fair, uh, you can... Email us at fairnessradio at gmail dot com. Um, Chuck, did you look at the the drug drudge report this morning? Uh, I did. I saw a rather emaciated looking picture of President Obama. Why is that news? I, because it's news. It would be news if any president looked like that. I mean, I remember with I remember when Jimmy Carter had had this kind of gaunt look. There were pictures. Of course, it's news, Patrick. I don't know. You know, it's uh, you wonder about his health. He does. No, I, he, I mean, I, I, I it looks like there might be something going on there that you know. I mean, we don't know about. He's lost a lot of weight. He looks gaunt. Yeah. Well, it's uh, news. It's it, news. It, it, it's uh, always news. But the president's health. I mean, that's it, not and should be. 
did you? Yeah, it should be. Did you see his um, his speech uh, at the college graduation yesterday? I saw a clip of it. I thought he looked fine. Yeah, he looked fine, and he was very energetic. There's nothing wrong with his health, and I, it's just surprising to to me that that um, the Drudge Report started off with the headline saying the president is losing weight and he's skinny. It seems like it's just part of the continual attack on the president to try to pull him down and make him look bad. No, I think it, it brings up, you know, something, it, it brings up questions about how is he? I mean, that's that's something that all, any president should it should be looked at. I mean, we learned the lesson from Franklin Roosevelt, who, who um, went out in, in 1944 after having been pumped up with drugs and you know, there's doctors go put put you know something in his cheeks to make him look healthy, so that everybody would think he was healthy. And to dispel those sorts of rumors, he uh, went to a, a ticker tape parade in New York City and sat on the back of a car for two hours. And everybody said, looked at him and said, he looks fine, he's great, and he was reelected. And he died three months later. So, no, I mean it's always news. Okay. I just want to briefly right. uh, talk so, back to I, uh, the, the Koch brothers. Uh, just real quick, I just wanted to say that I watched that whole speech yesterday, and I have never seen him have that much energy. So if he's That's losing, fine. if he's lost weight, it's really making him look good. And I wish I knew how he was doing it too. Uh, maybe there's well, an look, I don't think there's get. any. I don't think there's anything wrong with him either. But he no. does look awfully thin, and it's just any time. You know, th- these are always things that are fair. You know, that should be looked at. The president himself. I'm one who thinks that these things should be disclosed. Uh, Patrick, I think it's unfair of you to question, to to say that the Koch brothers are libertarian because they're trying to make money. It gets into negative stereotypes of conservatives. Every business is trying to make money. You no, don't I'm think Steve sorry, Jobs is trying to make that. money? I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that. Uh, well, no, you didn't imply it. You said it. Um, you didn't. You know, you made it as a flat statement. Oh, they're, they're doing this. They suddenly became libertarian because. They're making money. I mean, Steve Jobs was making plenty of money with slave labor in China, but it's almost. But because he's liberal, I mean, in other words, it gets into. I mean, all businesses are trying to make money, and I don't think the Koch brothers are even particularly motivated by money. As you said, they inherited it. I mean, they're not. You know, they're not. I think they're looking at actually getting into something that they believe in beyond making money. The, the both of them, I think, are in their late seventies or eighties. No, you know, not at all. Not, no. And I think that they've made their money. They're, they're amongst the richest men of the country. They don't. I think that they are interested in, in um, you know, their issues because they're interested in them. They, 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 you know, it's not, it's not just to make money. I mean, as businessmen, sure. But you can say that about just about any business, and to kind of single them out and say, oh, they're just doing this for the money. It gets. It, it serves the purpose of, of, of uh, demonizing conservatives. And without mentioning that liberal businesses are doing the same, and it questions their integrity. That's all. Well, I, I have no problem uh, uh, questioning integrity of corporations that uh, pollute as much as they sure. do. But uh, uh, as far as small government, I, I do think that the, the the continual drumbeat for small government that comes from uh, the business side is is partially motivated by the fact that they want a government that can't regulate them, that can't make them pay the taxes they owe can't make them right. control the pollution and allows them to externalize their costs onto the public. I don't think it's just pure ideology at all. I think there's a very strong financial uh, reward in there for them. Now, as well, far Patrick, as, the as irony. Uh, what's a second? Uh, I, you're interrupting me. Now, as far as the uh, their, their advocacy of libertarianism, I, they only want their kind of libertarianism, too. If you'll notice, they're now suing the Cato Institute, which is uh, one of the number one free market advocacy groups here. 
because the Cato Institute has been has stepped away from some of the pure libertarian small government things that uh, the Koch brothers uh, pound away at in their various propaganda arms. So they, they want to control even the, even the, the conservative uh, organizations that that uh, they fund. So I think there's there's something going on here. Just just in addition to just pure ideology. They make lots of money. They make money by reducing their costs. One of the ways they reduce their costs is by not controlling their pollution. And, and, and the less the EPA and other organizations can, uh, can regulate them, the, the more money they make. And now that's you know, part Patrick, of it. I'm not saying all, all of it, but it's just a really nice, comfortable fit. Yeah, you know, first of all, I doubt if they're more polluting or less than any other company in a comparable business, certainly not any more than Al Gore's Occidental Petroleum. Oh, for tons more. I mean, I doubt it. I think that you could take a look at the pollution record of a lot of companies that are in like in similar businesses. Well, I don't first think of all, they're that they're than Occidental. <laughs> probably not by much, and and I don't and probably not at all if you take a look at Occidental's worldwide footprint. But I doubt if they're more more. I mean, are they more polluting than British Petroleum? I mean, look, I I don't think that. You know, if you to, if you size them up to companies that are in the same business, I doubt if they're more or less polluting. And if they are more, it's not by much. Uh, so I, I think that that's you know that's kind of an unfair charge. And well, also, I would argue. Uh, wait a minute. A, I would argue okay, that liberal right. companies are also. They may advocate authoritarian big government with lots of regulation, but when it comes to their own businesses, they're not that interested in it. I could give many examples of that. Give me an example. So at least I'm the waiting. Koch brothers, at least the Koch brothers, are consistent in their contention that uh, the government should not be engaging in bad regulation against them or any other members, and they they live by that as opposed to advocating big authoritarian government and then quietly for their own little industry trying to duck away from from regulation, which is maybe some you know, the more liberal companies might do. I doubt if they, any of these companies want to have regula- bad regulations, you know, whether they're liberal or conservative. Well, first I mean, it's of just all, the nature um, of it. First of all, there are no liberal companies. Liberal companies are neither liberal nor conservative. They're in the business of making money. Secondly, they're not against bad regulation. They're against any regulation. Thirdly, last year they, they, uh, they released 100 million tons of uh, carbon dioxide, according to the EPA. They also put out a 300 million tons of additional uh, pollutants, according to the EPA. They're, they're, they've been ranked as the third largest carbon emitter in the United States, the other two being, uh, being slightly larger, being slightly larger uh, oil mm-hmm. companies. They put out um, five tons of, car- of, of carbon uh, per person, whereas the average of most other companies is 1.4 tons per carbon. Per, per person, so uh, you, so they have a very big uh, big footprint. Well, I think that depends on the size of the companies, Patrick. You said that there are bigger companies, so they have a bigger carbon output than a smaller company which has a smaller carbon output. They're not against all regulations; they're against bad regulations. They're not calling for a no laws. I mean, a regulation is a law. They're not saying, you know, that's that's a, a really, you know, crazy and irresponsible statement. They are against regulations that are what they argue unnecessary or excessive, and they live by that as opposed to companies that are liberal that might not that might also want those not want those regulations, but but posture in a different way. And companies are liberal and conservative. I mean, we just talked about how the Koch brothers is conservative. 
I'm talking about the, the leaders the, the of the company. I mean, the company itself. The company. Right. I mean, a company itself is an inanimate thing. I'm talking about the people oh. in the companies, the heads of it. I mean, a company isn't a per as as opposed to the myth on the left. The company is not a person, you know, they, which no one ever said they were. But people are people, and the heads of these corporations are either liberal or conservative. Generally, some of them are neither. But you know, so yes, there are liberal and conservative business people at the tops of, of big corporations. I'm glad to hear you admit that corporations are not persons, and therefore uh, the, the, uh, the logic is if they're not persons, they don't have constitutional rights. But that, of course that's I admit it. No one, no, one's ever, no one ever said they were, Patrick. We could talk about this a thousand times with experts and have who have told have. you many times yes. that that is an urban myth, and you're still not going to hear that because no, no, it is wait, part of the narrative myth? of the left. I'm misunderstanding you. What's an urban myth? That the Supreme Court declared corporations as people. They never did, and you know it. No, they didn't. No, they didn't declare corporations as people. But th what they did do is gave them the same rights as people when it comes to uh, political contributions and free speech. Well, and no, that, that. that's not that's not even true either. What they did was they said that under the First Amendment right to assemble. People who come together as a voluntary association, which is not an artificial thing, can express themselves, to use the term that I hate, but it's, it's applicable here, collectively. In other words, because they've come together and they've, they've agreed through an organized means to engage in political speech, they have a right to do that as people coming, toge coming together. The corporation itself has nothing intrinsic. It's, it's inanimate. But the people in it through their organization have a right to express something, whether it be a corporation or, or a private group or any group. That's so when the you principle. Say the, when you say the people, do you, do you mean the board of directors? Do you mean the executives? Do you mean however the it's organized. Do you mean the customers? However, it's, however it's organized, Patrick. Oh, whether oh, it be, yeah, uh, that's right. Whether it be I a see. union, whether it be National Organization of Women, whether it be the Koch brothers, however this particular group or association is organized, but a they have a right a, to express themselves. A, a company is, is a legal fiction. It's, it's not an assembly. It's a legal fiction set up by a state. It's not an assembly. Of now, people. here's an issue. Here's an issue yeah. I wanted to bring up with you because okay. you right. said this to Harvey Wilkinson, yeah. uh, the uh, federal uh, judge, the right. appellate court judge. And this is a classic left-right issue, Patrick. Okay. Uh, we've talked about this before. You asserted to him that a corporation is artificial and that it only exists because the state says it exists and it gives them a piece of paper that declares it as existing. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess, that, first of all, is the state itself real or artificial? State is artificial. It's not, it's not, it's, uh, you mean, when you say the state, do you mean the state government? The government, the, the government. government. Which is the, uh, um, it's, well, in this case, we're talking about the federal government, or we could talk about a state government, well, I suppose. Well, corporations are chartered by states, not by the federal government. All right. That is the state. state is Delaware real or artificial? Yeah. Uh, artificial. Is it an artificial person or an artificial entity? Is it an artificial? Well, it's not a person, so therefore, is it an artificial or a real entity? It's a real entity. Okay, then. So is it, why is a corporation not? I guess that my no, point I'm here, Patrick, is this. It's not a real entity. It's not a real No, you said it's artificial. It only exists because the state gives them a piece of paper that says they exist. Well, you actually said true. that flat out to Judge which Wilkinson. Well, yeah. this is my contention, and this yeah. is where liberals, this is a left-right issue. Yeah. The state doesn't make something real. What happens is either it's real or it's not real. And in the case of a corporation, 
what it is is a, is a is a coming together in a private and voluntary context of a group of people who organize in order to accomplish a certain thing, whether it be pulling oil out of the ground or whether it be promoting women's rights or whatever it is. They come together, they organize, and they do so voluntarily. And therefore, it's real. Now, whether or not now the state is simply giving them a recognition, my contention is it's real and it's natural whether the state gives them recognition or not. And I would argue that they could do what they do without the state recognition if the state didn't do it because it just it, it exists. It's natural for people to come together. I mean that's like saying is a family real or artificial? I mean these are uh, these are essential and identifiable real institutions that yeah, exist. Okay, but you're you're forgetting the key part of this, Chuck. And that is yeah. that when you file corporate papers, you, you you file to create a corporate veil. You make a deal with the state. The state right. will allow you to become a corporation and do what you want to do, as you just said. And in return, the state gives you immunity from litigation as a person, as the people right. in the corporation can't be sued. And, and that, that's the, the a family can be sued. The individuals in a family can be sued. So this is this is what a corporation is. It's an artificial entity that that takes the the uh, litigation possibilities away from the individuals in it. The individuals can do whatever they want. It's the corporation that we're talking about giving the money to, pol- to candidates. They've made a deal that they're free from litigation if they follow certain rules, and uh, that makes them a- an artificial entity. The people aren't artificial, but the company is because it made that deal. No, I would argue, Patrick, that the company is a real entity that makes a deal with the state. There's no question about that in the same way that anyone makes a deal with either the state or with another person when they enter a contract and that there are legal aspects to that that are agreed upon. It's still real. I mean, look, a family, you say a family is real? Well, then how come you cannot force a a husband to testify against his wife in court? But you can sue the husband and you can sue the wife. But you cannot legally force a spouse to testify against a spouse in court. Yeah, they have true. immunity. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's now that wasn't recognized by the state. Do you think that the marriage license makes that? You know, is is this an artificial entity that because the state issues a marriage license, therefore it becomes real? Uh, a marriage is a, a, a an artificial entity. The, the people. I would are say real, it's real. No, I would say I'm it's sorry, a natural, it's an entity, organic it's not a person. I didn't say it was a person. I said it's a natural, organic, real entity. It's a, it's a, it's a normal yeah. agreement that is entered into by two people. That's true. Now, this, and the same thing is true with corporations. Now, but, that doesn't mean the fact that the state gives a marriage license or the state gives a corporate charter, they, they enter into certain uh, they, understandings in order to function in that state or not, and that there are agreements on both sides. But that doesn't take away the real, intrinsic, organic, natural aspect of this. And this is a very important distinction. This really gets into a left-right talk here. It, it is, and, and, and I, you're absolutely right. It, 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 it doesn't. They, they are real entities. It doesn't take away the fact that they're real entities. But the Constitution right. doesn't give rights to entities. It gives rights to people. And as an entity, Fine. we're it having a different have conversation. 
The people have personal rights. They can donate money to, to campaigns. I don't think, I disagree with the Supreme Court on this, that an entity has a right to donate money. I don't think an entity has free speech rights. A family doesn't, a marriage doesn't have free speech rights. The individuals in it do. The, the executives can give money. The corporation can't. At least that's how I see it. Look, Patrick, I, I think that, I mean, we, we've moved beyond my original point, which is, Corporations or any natural association between people is real, it's intrinsic, it's natural, whether the state recognizes it or not. Now we're getting into a talk of whether or not the state, once they enter into a contract, has a right to regulate. And I would tend to agree with you. Okay. A corporation does not have a right to give money or support candidates. Neither does a union and neither does any, any publicly entered into contractual Organization, They don't. I agree with that. Okay. In fact, uh, recently we had on uh, Dave Johnson, I talked about how Germany, after World War II, under Konrad Adenauer, they actually put in force laws with regard to their unions that forbid them to get involved in politics. They are not allowed to contribute or to endorse candidates or anything. And that's the right of the state. I think that's the right of the U.S. government as well. They can regulate that. They don't have to – they could pass a law saying you as a corporation or as a union cannot get involved in politics. I think it's probably something that could be done on the state level, and the court should stay out of it. It's not a constitutional right. No, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, we've got an email in on this, and this is from sure. uh, Siegel. Um, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing your name. It looks like Siegel at AOL.com, and Siegel says um, – Corporations and unions are different. They're chartered under different aspects of, of state codes. Unions are nonprofit organizations. Corporates are for-profit organizations. Nonprofit organizations are, in the law are regulated by the IRS, and they are given a little more leeway than, than for-profit organizations. Unions represent people. Corporations represent stockholders. Unions generally operate under the C3 and C4 codes, which do allow them to, to be involved in some politics. Unions, uh, corporations operate under state charters, which generally don't allow them to be in pol involved in politics until Citizens United. I'm not sure I understand all that. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Of course yeah. they're different. Every, every entity in which people enter into is different. Every family is different. And the structure of a union is different than the structure of a, of a private corporation. I don't disagree with that. I mean, um, I don't know what his point is. I mean, sure, they're different. Um, I, that's uh, and, right. But I, do, I will say one little disagreement. Right. He says that unions are made up of people, corporations are made up of stockholders. No, Excuse me, but... Unions represent people, corporations represent stockholders. And stockholders all right, yeah, but I think, that, I think that it kind of compels me to mention that stockholders are people... Not always. Excuse me, but no. But I think that the stockholders are like little old retired women. They're also large banks has, and hedge funds. Whatever they are. Hedge funds are made up of people who own those funds and who are often working people, you know, whoever. They come from all various walks of life. My point is that pri the private owners of capital are people, you know, just like pe members of unions are people. I mean, they're not – capital doesn't exist unless there's a person – who owns it? Not you know, you know what I mean? Chuck. It, it could be owned well, by an institution. And who fact, owns the institution? institutions. Fine. Who owns that? It's um, ultimately, Patrick, it is the people. The institution, remember we just had this discussion, the institution is not a person. The Bank of America no, owns 50 people. million shares of stock, 
it's it's the institution that owns it. Now, yeah, but it's people who own the institution. But uh, but it's, they're not the, the owners. Yeah, but it's still people who own the institution. Ultimately, it doesn't just exist in in the ether. I mean, people; those millions of stockholders are human beings, many of whom have investments that they've worked all their life to achieve. I'm just saying that they're all made up of people. Yeah, it's just that's not, that's not necessarily true. Someone can also be, in fact, frequently they're they're owned by sovereign wealth funds, which are which are other countries. Well, then they're owned by people in Germany and in England, but they're or still owned by, by people. Sing- or in Singapore or in Oman, Fine. and they're actually owned by the government, not by the people. Well, okay, I'll, gr- I'll grant you that. But in the United States, they're owned by people. But many and, of the corporations uh, are owned by sovereign wealth funds from other countries or invested in them. No, I, all right, I'll grant you that there are, there are certain p- blocks of private corporations. For that matter, the unions are invested in those things, too. I mean, where foreign countries but come in and they buy up property. In- but they're not invested in the unions. I'm saying that well, pieces okay. of Bank of America, Citibank, hedge funds, etc., are owned by foreign governments. Fine, that's but fine. The unions but aren't. Percent- okay, fine. A percent. Uh, good. Right. Great. The point is that people own the, the stock in this country, and corporations are owned by the people who own the stock. You know, sure, there's a percentage of them that's bought up by foreign governments. You know, that's another totally different issue. You know, that's uh, either way. It's all you know. People, you know, it's people on both sides. That's my point. But but your your, your emailer is right. Of course, there are differences, very big differences in terms of their nature. But nevertheless, they are owned by people, and people have a right to assemble and express themselves. Yeah, we, we would disagree. I, I would think that I, I argue that an institutional ownership is not does not necessarily reflect. Uh, personal ownership, that institutions can own stock and, and manage that stock in ways that benefit nobody except the institution and, and the well, executive I, I would argue that, that institution. It, it eventually affects somebody because somebody owns it, and uh, that includes uh, it's just owned in different forms. And by the way, I want to just briefly change the subject. Sure. Catherine Stewart's book, The Good News Club. Yeah. I just started reading it. I agree with a lot of what she says. The tr- this group, Good News Club is bad news. I, I, you know, I don't just, I certainly don't back away from that. Okay. But her characterization of the Supreme Court decision that she says mandates that the Good News Club be put, you know, be allowed space in schools, it, that's not quite right. I did a little research on that that Supreme Court decision. She she refers to it as an activist decision by conservative judges. First of all, Stephen G. Breyer and Anthony Kennedy voted in the majority on that, and they're not known as conservative judges. True. And secondly, it's it's essentially, you know, while while I tend to agree with her that I don't like these groups involved in this kind of strong-arm proselytizing, and I think there's a way to deal with that, which we could, which I think I talked about, without involving banning them. <clears throat> Nevertheless. They, they don't have a. They're not. They don't have a mandated right to to be in those schools. They can be kicked out of the schools, and should be probably in many cases. I'd like to ask Albert about this. And incidentally, <coughs> you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Cyber Station USA, and our radio affiliates. I'd like to ask Albert uh, on that one. Um, as as I read the, the the case, the decision, and and you're right mm-hmm. uh, about the the judgment on it. Uh, it said that if, if a school allows any organization to use school facilities, it has to allow religious organizations to use school facilities that it can't edit on the basis of content. Right. And, 
And, and that's, I think Albert answered that question, Patrick. In fact, I'm, I'm yes. going on what he said when we talked with him about the uh, Mikey Weinstein case in um, in military bases, and his answer was that yes, they can and they have to, as long as there, there's no coercion going on, that people don't have to attend this, and as long as they're not taking yes. a, a, any major amount of money from the public. I mean, they can take the same amount of money as a worth that any other group would take, like. In the case of the good news clubs, they're using a room on the weekends in the school. I and mean, and so also it's, after school, too. And after, after school. school. So, yeah. so the amount of money that I suppose they take is the, what it costs to heat the room. I mean, yeah. they're not getting anything more than that. And that's the same as any other group would take. So right. Albert, Albert's answer, I think, with regard to the military base situation probably applies here, and that is that they can. And that uh, it is, you know, in a sense uh, – uh, free speech, it's a free speech issue, it's a free religion issue, and, you know, the, the more I think about it, and, and as I said yesterday, the answer to this is not to try to ban them and to try to squelch free speech, or to try to, in a sense, denigrate their religion, which I think this book does, and certainly Mickey Weinstein does. Uh, instead, the, the better approach is to counter them with information, you know, I mean, other churches should should teach their young people about their religion and and then also teach them how to counter a missionary. I've mentioned that Jews for Jesus was missionizing Jews. Well, there was I didn't want to get into this, but I will briefly. There was an organization there was an organization that responded to that called that called itself Jews for Judaism. Yeah, and I actually we should interview them. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to get into this issue, but what they did was they First of all, they taught young Jewish men and women how to what it is to be a Jew and what the what that what the purpose of that is, so that they can know who they are. And secondly, they taught them how to counter a missionary with biblical scripture, both Old and New Testament. And they got into some controversial stuff about Jesus that I don't want to talk about. But the point is, it, it, this kind of stuff that's only brought out in, in the nuclear, as I say, the nuclear option. If people are really going to not take no, well, I, I kind of agree with you on, on that, that. That once the Supreme Court has said that they have that right, and if you'll notice, this was their case that, it, that they brought the case, and the Supreme Court decided in their favor. Once the right. Supreme Court says that, I think the the antidote is not to try to ban them because you can't. <clears throat> it's first of all to educate parents as to what exactly this organization is and what it does, and make sure that the parents who sign yes to that that slip know exactly what they're getting. And then right. secondly, make sure there are other organizations like you just talked about that have alternative points of view that also get the same kind of publicity and the same kind of access to children, et cetera. Or exactly. the other way to do this is the schools just say, you know, this is so much trouble, we're not going to give anybody access to our classrooms. We're going to use them ourselves. And I'm sorry, but community groups just have to well, give Well, I think that's a mistake. I uh, think that's some, a better solution. Is, well, and I think that's sad because I think everybody loses. I, as I, I mean, I said yesterday that if I were a principal of one of these schools, I would bring these people into my office and say, look, you have a right to teach what you're teaching, you know, and that's fine, but I'm getting complaints that some of your students are bothering other children at this school, and that has to stop, you know, because it gets into an issue of, you know, it, it's a civility issue. You know, it's not so much they have a right to speak, they have a right to believe, but they don't have a right to bother other people. And if somebody is being bothered by them, 
You know, I mean, that's my approach yeah. to Islamic extremism. I mean, yeah. they can be as extreme as they want, but if they start lobbing missiles at Israel, you know, I mean, you know I've told you else. before. Yeah, I mean, I've told you I have a friend in Brookline who calls himself a communist and who talks about collectivizing his – and I said to him, I said, look, if you want to be a communist and get together with other like-minded people and turn your retirement fund and your substantial home and your properties – over to them and just redistribute it based upon need and live in a, live up in, in Vermont, I would applaud you. I think that's great. But the problem is that if you want to impose that on me and others, that's where I draw the line. So I would take that same standard to this group. If they want to teach what they're teaching and people are going there voluntarily and they know what they're doing, fine. They have to but know if they're going to bother students on the schoolyard, yeah. then they've crossed a line of yeah. civility. Uh, I, I, I completely uh, agree with that, and I just would add that uh, other organizations should, should have access to the atheists should have the classroom next door. If, uh, if one, well, they can get us that way. In fact, they are getting it, Patrick. We had our guest yeah. in the first hour who accurately pointed out this. There's an atheist movement that is just as strident, and they're involved in in the same type of thing. I mean, you, and I don't mind that. I mean, it's this much is smaller. It is smaller, so. Yeah. It's free speech. They have a right to do it. They all have a right to do it. I don't like it. I wouldn't be happy if a Palestinian group set up in school and started preaching against Israel. I wouldn't like it if Louis Farrakhan set up, but that's free speech, you know? And I wouldn't like it if David Koch set up, but, you know, they all have free speech. Uh, incidentally, well, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Uh, Heaven forbid. <laughs> in answer to uh, your earlier question, uh, who holds stock? 36% of the stock in the United States uh, is held by households and nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20% is held, held by mutual funds. 40% yep. is held by closed-end funds, which are normally um, uh, very wealthy people. Federal mm-hmm. retirement has 1%. Um, the, the state and local government retirement has 8%. Private pension funds, 9%. Insurance companies, 7%. Banks, Yep. 1%, and sovereign wealth funds, other countries hold 13%. So the majority of American stock is held by either individuals or by um, institutions that hold it for individuals. And there you go. Yeah. Okay. Only, so we're talking about 13% of American stock then is controlled by sovereign uh, nations, other nations. Yeah. I, or, I would have thought it would be more. In other, in other countries. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been more than that. That's, that, I'm glad it's not. Me too. Yeah, unfortunately. And, uh, and even and even in that even that is still mo- probably a good percentage of that is owned by people in foreign countries, not these sovereign nations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the uh, the global macro monitor doesn't doesn't break it down to that level of detail. So it could be uh, held by banks in in foreign countries and probably is. Right. Yeah. Um, on the so, um, uh, back to the um, uh, the child uh, uh, proselytizing at, at public schools. There's a, a battle going on right now in New York. You, you may have heard about it when you were there, that um, a number of Christian organizations are attempting to uh, get the public schools to allow them to use the public schools on weekends for actual religious services. And the no, I don't school, think they should be doing that. Well, the, the schools are resisting. There's a court fight going on over it, and uh, I don't think they should be either. I don't think no, they should be I mean, what's but, wrong uh, with the church? That. What? What's wrong with doing it at a church? They're saying I don't think they need to do satellite it churches. They're easier for people in the neighborhoods to get to. Uh, it's a Christian organization, and also some Orthodox Jewish organizations are are involved in this, and they're saying that you know they pay taxes. They should be able to use the schools just like anybody else. 
the schools are saying, I'm sorry, but nobody gets to use it for religious services, and I agree with the schools on this one. I do, too. Yeah. I mean, I, unless there was a real compelling reason why they had to do it in that building, I don't see any reason why they, they should be holding services at a school. Uh, I can't see that, uh, that there could be any, any compelling reason that they have to do it in that building. <laughs> and I um, would remind Christians, if they think otherwise, you're going to have Wicca and, and Satanists and warlocks. I mean, I just don't think it's a place. School's no place for that. Well, we need to uh, take a break. And oh, okay. uh, uh, actually, in just a minute, um, the uh, the Blog Talk, uh, where you, as you know, we're on the Blog Talk board, and the Blog Talk right. board just disappeared. <laughs> Patrick, I'm going to be switching phones for the second hour. Oh, here it is. Okay, um, that means you should probably call back in for our Blog Talk listeners, for all of our listeners, incidentally, because you're hearing a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes. We have uh, control boards in Washington, uh, rather in Boston and in Los Angeles. I'm looking at the one here. Um, Lars, our producer, is looking at the one in Boston. Uh, our, uh, Chuck is calling in. In fact, Chuck just left, so he'll be calling in in just a minute on another line. And there's electronics that put all this together. Uh, we have guests who are coming in from London, from Washington, etc. So there's, it takes two studios to actually meld all this together. So that's what we're talking about. But in any case, we should take a break in about one minute. But before we take a break, I want to tell you about BartonPublishing.com. They're our sponsor. BartonPublishing.com, www.BartonPublishing.com, is your source of information on how to manage your body, how to manage your health without using expensive or even possibly dangerous drugs. Now, what Barton Publishing does, does is it makes it, it commissions doctors and experts to write books, booklets, instructions that you can use with, to, to bring natural products, fruit and vegetables, natural products into your life so that they can help you control things like the cold, like diabetes, etc. They don't sell cures. They don't guarantee you're going to get well. What they do, what they say is that there is, that there are certain foods, there are certain natural ingredients that you can put, you, you can use in your body that will keep you healthy, and that in some cases, many cases, these can, can eliminate your need to be taking drugs. So that's Barton Publishing, www.bartonpublishing.com. They're on the internet um, every day, 24 hours a day. It's a wide open store. When you go to bartonpublishing.com and you order one of their information booklets, you will be asked for a coupon code. The coupon code is fairness. And that will give you a 50% discount. So that's www.bartonpublishing.com. We're going to take a break while our radio stations go into a, a news break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about what are your free speech rights and what are your employer's rights? Or, to put it uh, a little more sharply, can your employer tell you what you can say or publish uh, when you're not at work? Stay tuned. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Drift, I've got you covered. Feel the 
Covered by Stephen Fearing and uh, Rodeo Kings. <clears throat> and Stephen is going to be with us on Friday, 2.30. So stay tuned uh, for Friday, 2.30, and you can call in and talk to him. And we're back. We're back on Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. That's hour two. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm co-hosting with Chuck Morris in Boston. It's April 11, 2012, and we are the only radio program in America that routinely listens to voices from all sides, and we're pushing the boundaries of radio here. We broadcast Monday through Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Cyberstation USA and the Blog Talk Radio Network and on our radio affiliates, and they'll be joining us in just a minute. And you can be part of this. Email us, fairnessradio at gmail.com. Call us, 424-675-6806. That's 424 424- Six seven five six eight zero six, and also uh, check our Twitter feed and uh, our Facebook page. And after the show, look at our Facebook, uh, look at our website, fairnessradio.com. Well, before we open up for our radio audience, they're in a news break. Let me introduce you to my friend and colleague, our co-host Chuck Morris. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I'm good. You changed phones. I can tell the difference. <laughs> Is, I hope it's not bad. No, no, it's not bad. You're, it, it's just different, and and. You know, and that's fine. It gives us a, a little bit of um, of diversity on our show, if I could put it that way. You know, we were supposed to have a guest um, in hour two, and unfortunately, she's um, she's traveling, and and uh, she she couldn't make it back in time. We'll have her uh, later on uh, this week, hopefully Friday. But uh, it was Kate, Caitlin Genley. And Caitlin yep. um, was in charge of a study at the um, iWatch News, their project of the uh, Center for Public Integrity, which looked at corruption state by state. This was a huge project. There's only 50 reporters involved, and uh, mm-hmm. they and it's been going on for about a year now. And uh, they had 394 different uh, items that they looked at, uh, and they ranked the states. By, well, by the level of corruption in them, and they ranked the states also um, by, well, and they gave the states a grade. You probably want right. to know what your state's grade was. Well, I did actually take a quick look at that, Patrick. And I oh, think you did? Massachusetts, I think Massachusetts is either a C or a C minus. C. Yeah, should yeah. be an F. <laughs> what, well, about, it, what about California? What about California? <laughs> Uh, well, we'll finish up with Massachusetts real quick. Uh, Massachusetts actually was only number eleven. It, it ranked number eleven uh, that, uh, in uh, corruption, so it was it was better than uh, thirty eight other states. Um, it got a C overall, seventy four percent. It flunked public access to information, and I suppose that's something you're pretty familiar with, aren't you? Yeah, it's not easy. But I, look, I mean, I, I think that these sorts of surveys are very difficult to really get a handle on, on, on this unless you live in a state for any period of time, can you really understand corruption? And when I say corruption, I don't mean necessarily people, you know, grabbing you know piles of cash and running for the door. I mean a culture of corruption and, and patronage and, and general, you know, a, a general 
culture, as it were, of which Massachusetts is very, very corrupt, has been going way back. Um, it's very, very difficult to uh, to change the, this whole institutionalized sense of corruption here. And, uh, and certainly Governor Patrick hasn't done a damn thing. I mean, he's his idea of a hard day's work is uh, driving out to his 30-acre estate in in in, um, in uh, Stockbridge, and um, he spends his day kissing the backside of Barack Obama, hoping he gets a job in the second administration. Well, the 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 states, uh, the, the rather the accountability project uh, actually graded the states on about 350 different aspects of. Uh, what, how they operate, and so they, they're pretty detailed. And they actually, the reason they had reporters, and they got reporters from all over the country doing this, is that the reporters were also able to look into the culture you're talking about. You, you asked about my state, um, California. California was ranked number four, which is pretty darn good. Uh, we got a right. B minus. Um, our, uh, and I'll just go through the uh, the different, uh, not all 300 of them, but the top ones they uh, they rank it on was public access to information. We got a D minus, which kind of surprises me because we have an open uh, meetings law. Accountability of state executives a B minus. Um, judicial accountability a C minus. State civil service management a C plus. Internal auditing an A. That's a good one. Lobbying disclosure an A. State pension fund management, a C, ethics enforcement in the agencies, a B, redistricting. Of course, we just redistricted here, and, and the people did it rather than the politicians. We got an A on that. And our state insurance commissioner got a B minus, and um, I think maybe when he will uh, finally have the opportunity to control insurance rates, he might just get a uh, 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 a an A. So Now, in Massachusetts, your state, your access to information was an F, your executive accountability was a C plus. Your judicial accountability was a C plus. Your civil service management was a C. Your internal auditing, C plus. Your uh, procurement practices, a C plus. Your lobbying disclosure was a B. So Massachusetts is not bad on that. Your ethics enforcement, however, is not too good, C minus. You also got an A in redistricting. Your state insurance commissioner got a, a C minus, and your pension fund management got a C minus. So when we have Caitlin on Friday, we can talk about what some of these things mean. In the meantime, we have to uh, welcome our radio affiliates, and I'll just do it without a break. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, from Cyber Station USA, it's Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. It's time to welcome our radio listeners, 1490 WWPR in Tampa Bay, Bradenton, Florida. They're going to see the Republican Convention this summer and KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon, and they're going to see thousands of tourists from California at the at the uh, at, at the Ashland Shakespeare Festival. And as I said, I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm in California. Chuck Morris is co-hosting with me. He's in Boston. You can be part of it. Fairnessradio at gmail.com, and we actually have a couple of of emails about uh, state accountability. And after the show, check out our website, fairnessradio.com. Uh, we have an email here from somebody obviously in Massachusetts because he says it's Bob in Massachusetts. Uh-oh. <laughs> Bob in Boston. I'm sorry, Bob in Boston. And Bob in Boston says, uh, tell Chuck to, to stop criticizing the governor. He should, live in a, he should live in a state that's really corrupt like Texas. Our, go- our governor may not be the most likable person in the world, but it, but at least our taxes are relatively low, our health care is good, 
and we have one of the best university environments in the world. Chuck doesn't like it. Tell him to move to South Dakota or Texas and find out what real corruption is. Well, you I'm know, not... I, I really, yeah, I, I really don't think that um, this absentee buffoon governor, Patrick, has anything to do with those institutions. Last I checked, he didn't found Harvard University. <laughs> I mean, you know, Massachusetts has had had some of these great institutions, you know, going way back, and you know, in spite of him, uh, healthcare. I, I'd, I'd, I'd give the credit, and, and to the degree that we've cleaned up in the state, I'd give the credit to both Governors Romney and uh, and Weld, who okay. uh, came in and really kind of, to the degree it was possible, consolidated some of the uh, government graft here. They, they took on the big Democrat machine headed up by Billy Bulger. Um, they, you know, they reformed a lot in the state, and they put the house in order. Um, meanwhile, that's why you can have a guy like Patrick just kind of, you know, greasing along and, and smiling that smug, you know, smile at people <laughs> and doing absolutely nothing. Oh, well, that, uh, again, and getting uh, the just, credit. just for our listeners, that's Chuck's opinion. Uh, we're not saying that's fact. Uh, the emailer was right about Texas, though. Texas got a D-plus. It's 27th uh, in corruption. Um, it got F's in just about everything except internal auditing. Apparently, they do that well. It got an A. Pension fund management got a B, a B minus. But uh, it flunked access to information. It flunked executive accountability. The governor there is not accountable to anybody. Uh, it flunked state insurance commissions. It flunked redistricting. Uh, and it got a D in legislative accountability, and it got a D minus in political financing. So he's right about Texas. So this is—I'm looking forward to having uh, Caitlin on. This this is really interesting. Uh, I, I really enjoy yeah. uh, seeing this. And you know, uh, I, I've worked in state government, as, as you know, and state government is tough. It, it's very tough to um, to to manage without some kind of corruption in it, because it gives out a lot of money. Uh, it gives uh, a, lot, a lot of contracts out, and I'm sure that the contracts are the um, are where where it is. And, and I, the reason I can say that is because I lived in, a, in the state which is number 50, which is the most corrupt state in the union, according to the Center for Public Integrity, and that's Georgia. Which is uh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And they got an F in just no, about I, I don't doubt that. Everything. Um, the only thing, the only place they didn't get Fs were uh, judicial accountability and internal auditing. But while I was in Georgia, it just became absolutely crystal clear that the only way you got anything done was you you paid off somebody, and that was at the city of Atlanta, that was in the state of Georgia. Every everybody was on the take there, and and that's yeah. why there were so many projects that got built that had absolutely no purpose except to give a contract sure. to somebody. It was just a mess. So I would it think could that be Louisiana worse. would be among the most corrupt for some reason. Maybe that's a preconceived uh, prejudice on my part. I don't know why. Well, let, let's let's take a look and see. Okay, Louisiana. Yep. Louisiana, right there next to Texas. Yeah, no, not bad. 15. Ranked number 15. Overall grade of C-. minus. Huh. Uh, well, uh, maybe since they got a Republican Governor Jindal, things are better. I don't know. Well, let's see. The executive accountability there is C plus. What they flunked on is public access to information. Apparently, you don't want the citizens to know anything about what's going on in the government there. Well, no, I'm really happy that. about this. I, I like this. Um, hopefully, it'll yeah. do some good. But you know, you should ask a, people to email and, and and get the scores on their states. Oh sure. That would okay. Be, uh, 
CanisRadio at gmail.com. Yeah, give us, um, okay, we, actually, we just got one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this is a person who wants to know what's, what uh, Seattle is like. And, of course, it's not Seattle, but it's, it's Washington. So the state of Washington. State of Washington's, yep. wow, number three overall grade. In the country. Yeah, number three in the country. A for auditing, A for lobbying disclosure, A for redistricting, B minus for public access to information. That must be pretty good. You know a lot about what your your government's doing up there in, in Washington. Um, the only place they fell down on is pension fund management and procurement. So that's uh, that sounds like Washington's a great yeah, so place. I'm surprised that California did as well on pension fund management as they did. I thought didn't there, wasn't there a major problem uh, about a year ago with that? There was. Um, Calpers came uh, was found to be handing out uh, pension not not pension funds but allowing uh, uh, New York banks to manage its pensions um, not based on um, relate personal relationships rather than on who did the best job. Um, that yes. has been solved. The people involved are no longer with us, uh, uh, and. Uh, so it's been taken care of. Maybe, maybe they got rid of them along with Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Unfortunately, Schwarzenegger didn't appoint those people. Those are overlapping. Oh. Uh, let's okay. see. Who's the uh, – I've got an email here that wants to know who's number one. And uh, number one is New Jersey. New Jer- oh, that's great. Chris Christie. I'm not surprised. He is a real up-and-comer especially in Republican circles. What a great guy. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, he's got the, the least corrupt state in the union. That's Chris Christie. So congratulations. Yeah, he really cracks the whip. You know, he doesn't stand for, you know, he's a lot like Bill Weld in that way, who is also very much like that. And to an extent, Romney, although Romney was a little softer. But nevertheless, you know, he's a good government guy. Well, we've got to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're, we're going to have a, a guest with us who's going to talk about your online freedoms off the job. So stay tuned. You're listening to Fairness Radio. Chuck and Patrick. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. Well, can you blog about illegal or unethical activity um, uh, that you see your 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 boss doing? 
Uh, what about your employer? If you work for a big company, can you blog about illegal or unethical activity there? And where does free speech end and your employer's rights begin? Well, Jim Lair Beard is a professional blogger, a screenwriter. He's based in California. He's currently a member of Unite Here, Local 11, and he's a passionate advocate for labor rights. He was recently recognized by Craig Newmark of Craigslist as being one of 16 people changing the world in 2012 for his article, Change Will Not Be Downloaded. Jim, welcome to Fairness Radio. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Uh, Jim, can you describe for our audience who may not have seen your blog or may not follow you on fryingpannews.org, what is the policy of your employers that happen? And what happened to you? What did you blog about, and what did your employer do, and where does it stand now? Well, I, um, I'm actually a, uh, a server at uh, the Hyatt Ondas here in West Hollywood, and it's uh, basically the issue that is being raised is over the, the blogging policy that's been in effect since 2010. And right now, one of the big um, catchphrases that has kind of upset the union and has got the National Labor Relations Board in, involved is a phrase that goes something like this, avoid commenting on Hyatt or any Hyatt location. Hyatt may request that you temporarily confine your use of social media to matters unrelated to Hyatt if it determines this is necessary or advisable to ensure applicable laws for Hyatt policies. So, uh, Basically, what they're saying is, you know, even if you're in the, the comfort of your own home and you're doing your own thing behind the computer, they don't want you to comment on a Hyatt at all. And I have a problem with that because we've we've got issues that that need to be addressed. And so that's why I've been out in the forefront and trying trying to get these issues raised. Did 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 uh, Hyatt uh, take any action against you? No, they've not. They have not. But. Uh, I'm I'm protected right now by by my union as well as a a good union attorney. So <laughs> so that is one of the reasons that I that I'm able to do this and I'm able to get the word out. But they, they have not yet taken any action against me. Well, the advent of social media and personal websites and Facebook, etc., uh, makes anybody a publisher. And up until now, until until the social media world. Employers or individuals, we we only really had to worry about the media putting out negative stories. And now anybody, including employees, can do it without a gatekeeper. So, do you think that an employee should, or an employee or a company rather, should at least have the opportunity to respond to or to verify facts in an employee's blog? Isn't that just good journalism? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I I think that that is is fair, and I think that if they they disagree with something, they should be able to talk about it and, and perhaps even go after you. I mean, Hyatt even has it uh, uh, in their policy. One of the statements is, they're, you know, even if you're doing your blog anonymously, they will still um, out you if they deem it necessary. If, they, if you've been blogging about the company, they will out you. So that's, that's also one of, the, uh, one of their rules in, the, in, the, uh, in, in their policy. So I, I think it's fair. And, and you know, what I think is great about social media and blogging is it's leveled the playing field for everybody. I've now just as got much freedom of speech as you do, and and so I think that the facts need to be called out and the facts need to be addressed. And um, I'm I'm hoping that that's a, a great way for to push the dialogue forward. Well, I'm I'm not sure I'm, I'm clear about this. Uh, they they 
they're they're not going after you or apparently other people who who work for them who who blog about who blog negatively about them, but they reserve the right to do so. Have I got that straight? That that's correct. That's correct. And and the worry from from our side is that you know this seems to be a way to to tamp down on potential whistleblowers. And I have been really pushing. Um, our our housekeepers have have really uh, had it tough. They've um, Hyatt has raised the their workload unlawfully, and it actually uh, they reversed course after the National Labor Relations Board issued a complaint. Um, they reversed that before it could go to trial, and they they negotiated a settlement. But but these are the the kind of things that you know that we worry about is that when people do have something to say, it's it, it's you know companies can 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 scare them and and make them not say what they want to say. So yeah. Okay, I, uh, I understand that. Uh, if a company is breaking the law, or even if it's just breaking its own rules, do they have any rights to privacy at all, or is it the duty of people who work for them to to make that information public? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the, the, the I mean, I, I think it should be public. I think it should be out there. Um, let let us have a public debate uh, about it. About you know if this is right or wrong. I mean. You know, we're you know we can still be um, uh, held for held for slander. So if if they can prove that, then then I think that they you know that's um, that's within their right. But I think the issue needs to get out. I've been writing about these housekeeper issues since September. This has been going on for a long time, and and it's something that needs to be heard by the general public. One of the things that makes me so angry is we as Americans spend so much time pointing fingers overseas about job conditions and work conditions and. And yet, right under our noses, we have we have catastrophic conditions going on that nobody's paying attention to, and so that's important to talk about. Well, from from, from your description, it appears that companies are asking employees to give up their First Amendment rights in exchange for a job. Uh, and I've noticed that there's been another trend going on that some companies, many companies now, are asking customers to forego their right to access to the courts in order to buy a product from them, requiring arbitration instead. So is mm-hmm. the, do you see this as a larger pattern of the privatization of the Constitution that companies get rights and people pay the costs? I do. I really worry about it. You know, it's what worries me is this kind of new employer-slash-employee agreement to barter our First Amendment rights simply for a job. I don't think the founding fathers anticipated that citizens would have to barter their, their, their rights away to free speech simply for a job. Because, you know, and, and let's remember, that, that's, that's an individual freedom that we're talking about. We're not talking about freedoms owned by the state or the federal government. I mean, you know, we don't allow federal or state governments to barter us for this freedom, and we, we certainly shouldn't allow corporations to do this. Um, as I, I've, I've written in an, another uh, article that came out today, you know, George Washington didn't anticipate Facebook, but he certainly understood the privacy of one's own home. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that you know, it, it's funny because I know that you, uh, the, the right in the country, they love to complain about the government, how, how the government's invading their lives. But I think for a lot of people, including myself on the left, it's actually corporations that that the ones that are getting their hands into our private lives. Uh, I kind of see it that way too. And j- just to be clear, I, you may have misspoke. Uh, the state and federal governments don't own rights; they're, they're inherent in us as individuals. Yeah, don't no, own was a bad uh, own was a bad phrase. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, introduce you to my uh, my co-host Chuck Morris. Hi, Chuck. How Thank are you? Thank you, Patrick. 
Good, Jim. How are you? I'm Jim, good. Did uh, did Hyatt breaks laws? Is that because I don't know the exact nature of what this blog is about? I mean, are you accusing right. them of breaking a law? Well, what the the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, said is that they had uh, raised housekeepers' rooms unlawfully. That's one of the the recent issues that's come up with us. And they've right. been in a fight with this for the last couple of years, and only recently did Hyatt, within the last month, did Hyatt uh, reverse course on that. Did you say um, raised rooms? You mean raised the numbers of rooms they had to clean every day? That, that's correct. Okay. And, and for anybody who doesn't know what this, when you raise a room for a housekeeper, just two rooms, if you're raising uh, two rooms for a housekeeper, that, that makes them lose their breaks. That makes them freak out over getting the, to, uh, clocking in and out on time. Um, that that's serious stuff. And so, on the other side of that, the employer was getting ready to write people up for missing breaks when the you know it's all kinds of pressure that that finally we just got that settled. So, right. And you know, look, I've worked in hotels myself, both in union and non-union houses, and I would think that that's an issue that the, the high needs to take up with their union. Um, but but I yeah. don't think that you have a right to. Uh, to write about your company while you work there. I mean, you have a right, if you have a grievance with your company and you want to expose what you think is unjust practices, I think that's a good thing, but you have to quit first. You cannot, I don't think it's right to expect to be able to do that while you're working for the company. I mean, I, I can speak to that, that when I worked for Clear Channel, for example, I had to sign a document saying that I would not reveal proprietary information about Clear Channel during the time I was there. Um, and I even think it, it, it extended to maybe three months after I left. And other things, I mean, that's not new. That goes way back. I mean, Patrick, you can talk about, you, you live in Los Angeles. Hollywood used to have contracts with their employers. Uh, you know, if you were an actor and, and, and a uh, movie house is going to invest in your career, you had to sign a morals clause, you know, that, that would deal with, uh, you know, your private behavior because they were investing in you. And because they, you know, they're going to put a lot of energy into uh, promoting you. In exchange, you agree to uh, do certain things and not do other things in public. And it's not a coercive thing. It's a voluntary arrangement. You don't have to work there. But when you're working for a company, you know, during the time you're there, I don't think it's appropriate to be spilling the beans on, on what they're doing publicly. And when you put something on Facebook, that's not in the privacy of your own home. That's public. Anyone can look at Facebook in the world. I mean, that's not a private conversation. Right. Well, I, I would just say that, you know, I, and I go back to my quote, you know, uh, you know, I, I think that freedom of speech um, goes a long way in this country. And when, when you see something wrong in the workplace that needs to be addressed and it's not being addressed by your employer, I, I think that you need to talk about it. And that's, you know, this is a new thing for me. I've only been I've been doing this just for the last you know six seven months, but it is something that I feel passionate about. When I see something wrong and it's not being addressed by the employer, it needs to be talked about. And I think even if well, you, Jim, you know, look, I I agree with you, but I would just say that the only caveat I would put in there is that you have to leave first. I mean, you can't expect to work for a company while you're criticizing them publicly any more than mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you you know it's it's, it's like if somebody criticized your mother. You know, I mean, you know, you, you don't. There are certain things that you enter into a, a relationship. They're paying you. You're an employer. I mean, you're an employee of their company. And, and if you have a grievance with them, and that they won't take it up internally, then and you want to make it into a public issue, 
then I think it's it's it should be expected that you leave the company and then make it a public issue. I mean, how can you expect to really continue on the payroll and get paid by them if you if you kind of you know airing their dirty laundry in public at the same time? Again, I'm not right. taking issue with the fact that that it, that you have a right to do it, but mm-hmm. you know you've also entered into a voluntary contract with this company that in exchange for them paying you, you're providing certain services, and part of that is, you know, there's a certain level of, of confidentiality. I mean, the old example, I mean, would Macy's tell Gimbel's what they're going to be selling? You know, you know what I mean? There, there are certain, you know, I don't want to use the word secrets, but there are proprietary issues around uh, various companies, and to the degree that they exist depends on the nature of the company. Or the nature of your position, right? And I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with. There, there are certain things that I'm not going to say about Hyatt. A lot of the stuff that I am saying, the union has already put out there. What I think, we're and that's really fine. That's about, appropriate. That's the job of the union. But you know, you should do it through your union. Let the union handle it. I mean, is the union a good union there? I mean, I've, as I said, I've worked for good unions and bad unions, and I've worked for good non-union hotels as well and bad. I mean, why isn't right. the union? This is their job. I mean, they're supposed to. If 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 uh, if the, if the but I'm a, but are I'm not Chuck, getting I'm a union union worker. properly, but Chuck, you I'm are. a union worker, and unions are only as strong as the workers are. And so, right, you know what? Guess what happens? Guess what happens when a lot of people take your advice? They start dropping out of unions. They start dropping out of their works at hotels. They start leaving, and then all of a sudden, unions in this country crumble. And that's exactly what we don't want to happen. And I think what we're really talking about is a better balance between workers' rights and business rights in this country. And, I, you know, business has the advantage, plain and simple, over the top of the worker. It always has, and I think it's time to find some, some balance with, with those two ideas. Well, look, I, I don't disagree with that. I would just simply say that uh, if, if, if the maids are not getting their breaks properly, and there are laws about that, then that is something for the union boss to take up with the manager of that hotel. It's not something to put out on a blog site and try to besmirch the reputation of the institution that's paying you. I mean, it, you know, it can be dealt. In other words, it can be dealt with internally. And if it can't be dealt with internally, and they're not responding to it, then I would say, you know, quit and then take it up. You know, write articles. You know, but make it into an issue. But, but uh, right. you know, just like if you owned a company, would you want to have an employee spilling your, you know, your inside information publicly? I mean, and, and how can you then work for them? Right. Well, I think what, you know, I would like to think that I would be the kind of employer that would that would listen to my my employees um concerns. Right. I mean, we've we've well, been out like, of a like we've been out of a contract. Yeah, well, we've I, been, I, I mean, it sounds like Hyatt, Hyatt is responding to it. I mean, you you say that they're making corrections. Yeah, yes, in that instance they have, but we we're also we haven't had a contract for 2 years. We've been out of a contract. So you know, when you don't have a contract, when the when the hotel is unwilling to sign a contract, uh, it puts you in a precarious place, and all of a sudden bargaining becomes becomes very difficult. And there are other issues that that have not been taken up. And you know, it's a fight. It's 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 simply a fight. And so, uh, well, I'm those, in those it. again, that's a union that's a union management fight, and and that's uh, you know, that's up to the elected boss of the union, the elected leaders of the union, I should say to take up with the management. I mean, that, that, that exists all over the place. There's always dispute. That's why there is a union. I mean, it's, right. not, it's not a matter of um, going beyond 
the union I mean, and, and making an issue. And besides, I think the public does know that the union that the union isn't getting a contract. That is public information. The union releases that to the public, and they have a right to do that. I'm just saying, right. as an individual, I, I don't think it's quite right to 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 expect to um, to take on your company while you're working there. It's just, uh, to my way of thinking, it's 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 not it's not the way to go. We have a couple of what? emails on this. Um, um, from uh, Sender Gupta, uh, who's in Seattle. Sender says, corporations have large PR machines. They, they can use those machines to convince the public that they're right. The workers should also have the right to use the, the basic freedoms that, that Facebook gives us to convince people that they're right, too. I think this is a free speech issue, not a, not a union issue. Um, what, what, what do you say, Jim? And then Chuck. I, I agree with that. And, and you know, yeah, the, the the PR that companies, uh, huge companies have behind them is just there's no competition, and so what you know we're asking for a guy like me to speak up once in a while against my own employer to compete with their PR. It, it's a no-brainer to me. We should allow it. We should allow employees to stand up and speak out when they see things that are wrong because we're always swallowed in this PR. I mean, there's just no competition. So, um, you know, I, I agree with uh, what the emailer said. Well, I mean, I agree with the emailer also with the only caveat that you leave the company first and then you you know, you know, can't expect to continue to get paid and to work at a company if you're going to take them on publicly. It's just, you know, any more than uh, it, it's, it's really a matter of, of, of proprietary issues. Um, right. Sexy, Sexy40 in, in Austin says, I run a small business. I have 10 employees. I have told them that their behavior outside of my business does affect my business because I deal with parents and children. Are you saying that you should be able to put whatever you want on a blog that the parents and, and children of my customers could see and then maybe decide they don't want to come to my business anymore? It's interesting that, that uh, this is from somebody mm-hmm. called Sexy40, but, any, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I was wondering what what kind of business she runs. I, I don't I don't know. Right. Um, that's a I mean that's a vague one. I don't know. You know I don't because I I, I certainly who wants to offend children? You know nobody wants to offend children. And uh, or, I think she's talking about offending her customers. Okay. Right. I mean you know you know I, I think that people do you know companies do have a right to expect their employees to behave in a certain way in their private, you know, in, in not in their private life, in the privacy of their own home, but in public when they're not at work. Uh, you know, again, they don't have to work there. I'll give you the example of the legal profession. Lawyers have to be, uh, every uh, city has like a uh, an ethics committee that watches what lawyers do in their private life. You know, a lawyer, it's a different matter, for example, if a lawyer is at a party and he's uh, and somebody's smoking a joint than it is for somebody who's not a lawyer because the lawyer is an officer of the court. They can't be in a situation like that. And if they get they get caught in that situation, it's a different it's a different set of circumstances than someone who might be in another profession. Maybe that's not a good example, but the point is that yeah, I mean, do you want to have like a teacher at an elementary school, you know, involved in um, you know pornography or something? I mean, I'm just saying that you know, yes, I think that a, a company. Uh, has a right to expect certain levels of conduct in, in someone's life, and it's not a coercive matter because it's a voluntary relationship. They're working there, and during the time they're working there, 
they have to have some level of agreement, and if they don't want to abide by it, then they can quit. We have a, an email here from uh, from Billy Ray in St. Paul, and it's, it's directed to Jim. And, and Billy Ray says, if they want to control what you can do in your private life, why don't you ask them to pay you while you're in your private life? And actually, they should be paying you overtime. If they're going to control you outside of the work work, work environment and they should pay you outside of the work environment. Have, has anybody ever thought of that? <laughs> I actually I actually wrote that almost that exact phrase today in in an article that went up on Frying Pan News, you know, uh, it's it's I'm in the comfort of my own home, isn't that my time or shall I clock in once I get home too? Perhaps perhaps I'll send them a bill and see what happens. Uh, have you, you have know, you we're not talking that? though about the privacy of your own home. I mean, Facebook is not privacy. That's a public forum and uh you know you can do whatever you want in privacy and they are paying you they're paying your salary but and they're not paying that salary but, but Chuck, is, he's, he's hourly uh, and they stop paying him when he well goes then they're home. paying you by the hour but, but the point is that they're trying to control what he pay. does during the hours he's not on on the job it's not controlling the control is the wrong word when you accept payment and you accept a regular pay from a company then i think there is a certain level of understanding depending on the company and the situation that you're not going to engage in certain public conduct. That doesn't mean you can't do whatever you want in your own privacy of your own home. That's not the issue. But it's public what, conduct. But if what you want to do in your own home is, is work on your Facebook page and talk about the employer, they're, they're controlling you, and if they're saying you can't no, do no, that, no. I think they should pay you. No, pay, Facebook is not private, though, Patrick. Again, it doesn't matter where you do it. Facebook is available to anyone who wants to look at it. Back, it's, it's, it's only public. available to your friends. Well, I mean, your friends, that's right, but that's public also. It's a, it's, in other words, I'll say it's a difference between if you're in the privacy of your own home and you have a private phone conversation, that's private. But if you, have, if you post something on the web, it's, it's not quite private. It, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's sent to uh, multiple people, and it's, it's more general, and it does get into an issue of propriety. Well, let, let's take a quick break. Um, Jim, can you stay with us for a few minutes after the break? Certainly. Okay, um, we're going to take a, a, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. For our blog talk listeners, we're letting our stations identify themselves, and they have to do a little business, and we'll be doing a little business, too, when we get back. Keep those emails coming and call in and argue with us. up and take the lead and you're we're back you're listening to fairness radio with chuck and patrick on the block talk radio network cyber station usa network and our radio affiliates this segment brought to you by barton publishing www.bartonpublishing.com your source 
of information to manage your health without using dangerous or expensive drugs. Go to bartonpublishing.com, look at what uh, at the various diseases and problems uh, there and pick the one that you want to know about and you'll see information written by doctors and by experts. You can order it and when you order it, up comes a coupon request. Put in fairness in the coupon code and you'll get a 50% discount. That's Barton Publishing, www.bartonpublishing.com. Well, we have a, a lot of emails here. <laughs> Apparently, this is a um, a, a topic that uh, a lot of people are interested in. We have several emails, so I'm not going to read in the, um, one, but several emails here point out that your Facebook page is not totally your Facebook page any longer, that other people, your friends, and your apps can put things on your Facebook page. And in that case, if somebody puts something on the Facebook on your Facebook page that says, "Hi, I saw you at work and you looked really ragged. Are they pushing you too hard?" Does that mean that you have violated the company's uh, uh, policy? And if so, whose fault is it? Is it your fault? Is it the friend's fault? Do your, does the company have an obligation or a right to control what your friends put on your Facebook page? Jim, what do you think? Does that come up? Um. <laughs> I've, I've thought about that, and, and other people have talked about it, but that, man, the, the future has made it really hazy on on you know what you can what what you can get away with and what you can't. Um, I I still think how are you supposed to be held responsible for what somebody else says? Exactly. I, mean, I think we should res- be responsible for what we what we say ourselves and and keep it at that. Well, what do you think of the uh, the, the employers are asking for Facebook passwords? You think they're out of line? Um, yeah, I think that if you're, you know, if your employer is trying to barter with you, with your privacy to get a job, I think it's wrong, and and I and I don't think that's a partisan issue at all. I mean, I, I would say, Chuck, I mean, no, I agree. if you were to, if you were to, yeah, apply for a job and they wanted you, you, you know, you to give up guns, give up your Second Amendment yeah, rights, no, I, think I agree. have a problem with that. We, yeah, we we just did a show on this, and uh, it, it's not something that's really happening, except in very select situations where you have somebody who's in a kind of a security type position. And that's something else. I mean, again, it's a voluntary thing. But no, I don't think they have a right to ask for your your Facebook password. Um, And as far as what was posted on the Facebook page, somebody looking ragged or something like that, that's a personal remark. You know, that's that's different than saying the company is doing X, Y, and Z. You know, there's a big difference there. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, let's see. We have uh, New Tone Kid uh, in uh, St. Paul. We have a, apparently we have a, a little, uh, a lot of listeners in St. Paul. New Tone Kid mm-hmm. says, "Does the policy also uh, extend to talking to your friends? You know, when you're talking on Facebook, you're really talking to your friends. But does that mean if you tell two of your friends that uh, there's abuses going on at the at the hotel that you're violating that policy, Jim?" Well, I would say what I, what I read earlier on the, the uh, avoid commenting on Hyatt or any Hyatt location. If you know, I, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure that that would extend uh, that policy. Um, uh, if Hyatt's name comes up in it, I'm sure that it would frown upon that. So, and like I said, the only reason I'm protected is because I'm protected by my union. Uh, it, it would be nice to be protected as the First Amendment, how it was, you know, originally thought of. But sometimes you've got to go deeper than that. So. Well, that would mean that. Um, that you know, Patrick, I would think that if somebody, if um, you know, if it's really to just one or two people, then that's that's private. I mean, if that's all that can actually see that communication, 
the problem is that if something is put up on a website or a blog site or a uh, or any other site that is seen by a lot of people, then it gets into a proprietary matter. And and I actually am disappointed with the union for uh, for allowing people to do that. I don't think they should. I think the union should do that. That's why the union is there. Let them criticize the company and take it up with the company, and let them send out a, a press release. It, it's it, it, they shouldn't be you know protecting union members from taking on the company by the, on their own. Uh, in my opinion. Well, that brings up the question of of how many is too many. Is it, Jim? I I believe you read the statement that said avoid discussing uh, the the company. I don't know what was the exact words there. Well, it says. Avoid commenting on Hyatt or any Hyatt location. Hyatt may request that you temporarily confine your use of social media to matters unrelated to Hyatt if it determines this is necessary or advisable uh, to ensure applicable laws or Hyatt policies. Right. Okay. I think that's very fair. Uh, we have a, an email here uh, from Linda Sue in Austin, and Linda Sue says, Chuck's wrong. It's not just a very few people. Sears and Roebuck is one of the companies. They employ hundreds of thousands of people, and they demand your Facebook passwords. Well, they shouldn't be doing it. I agree with that. You know, I don't know why any any company would want your Facebook password. If I was going to work for a company that wanted my Facebook password, I would either not work for them or I'd get rid of Facebook. I mean, that's just to well, me you know, that's, that's not not necessary. Yep. Let, let, me make, let me make a point about that, Chuck. I, I think part of the scary thing is when you say, I won't work for them. You know, our, our civil liberties, I think, are in jeopardy precisely because people have decided to walk away and not fight for things they think are unfair. I mean, your liberties are only as strong as we are, and, you know, we at some point we have to take some responsibility for the erosion of these freedoms. And if we're just going to let these companies kind of willy-nilly barter us for our freedoms to get a job, we're in big trouble, and we're in bigger trouble if we walk away. Well, look, I'm not saying to not take these issues up. I'm saying to take them up either after you leave the company or take them up inside the company. And you say you have a union. Maybe your union might be in bed with the company. I don't know. The fact is that it's a, there are appropriate means to take up an issue, an internal issue with a company in the company, or you leave and take it up. I'm not saying don't take it up. Uh, I'm just saying that there's, you know, there are certain when you're in the course of working for a company and getting paid by them, you know, unless they're doing something that is so blatantly illegal, you know, you, you, try, to, you try to work with them. You know, you try to uh, show loyalty to a certain extent. You know, you don't, sp- you don't spill the beans while you're there. I mean, it's just it's, it, any more than you would with your own family. We, we have a bunch a of other relationships. We have a bunch of other emails uh, on this. Um, uh, a number of emails point out that, that some governmental agencies also ask for that, too. And one says the city of Bozeman, Montana, asks for it. Another one says McLean County Sheriff's Department asks its deputies for their password. Uh, and yeah. Another one says that um, Spotsylvania County, Virginia, asks for uh, employees' passwords. So apparently it, it's both public and private. Uh, Mike from Maine wants to know... Uh, what if you talk to somebody on the phone or in person, and then they post their re- recollection of that conversation on their pace- Facebook page, and that conversation was about criminal activity by your employee, your employer? What then? You can get in trouble. It's, it's, and then uh, he asks, um, uh, in a follow-up to your answer, he's, he was right there, is any of this covered by whistleblower rules? 
you know, I yeah, think whistleblower I mean, laws actually apply to public the public sector and should. I mean, because pub, the public sector is paid by taxpayers. It's not a, you know, there's a whole different matter. And and on the public sector, when you're talking about, you know, you know, corruption and and the the, the bad spending of public funds and whatnot, then yeah, I mean, it should you can be you can be a whistleblower. But even then, when somebody blows a whistle, they usually leave. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to stick around and check in the next morning. I don't know. Uh, Jim, does whistleblower laws um, cover uh, whistleblowing private corporations? You know what? I, I, I Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I don't Patrick. know the answer to that either. Um, yeah, so I, don't th- I think that it's public. I think that's a, that was actually something right. that I don't know the details, but I believe that literally was a law that was passed by Congress in the 1980s that protected whistleblowers in the government. And yeah. I think states have their own whistleblower laws, and it deals with the public sector. And should I mean that's a different, whole different uh, ball of wax. Yeah, well, I have to have to, have to ask. I, I think you're right on that. Um, however, uh, I, I I I know that there are there are legal groups that that actually uh, work on whistleblowers, and there have been some whistleblowers in the airline industry that have gotten legal representation, but that may not be under the same law. So I'm not really sure about that, um, and that also. Right. The aviation industry may be different because people's safety is is involved there. Well, 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 Jim, what's the next step here, or or is there a next step? Are you waiting for for um, the union to make the next step? Well, there's going to be a, a hearing in Phoenix um, in I believe it's May second uh, about this. Um, the National Labor Relations Board has has filed a complaint against Hyatt. And um, we're going to try to see if we can sort this out. So it's probably something I'm going to be going to, and uh, 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 other bloggers will probably be going to as well because this could pretty soon blow up into a you know a national thing. So well, from what you're saying, Hyatt is not retaliating against you. They're 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 being pretty nice about this. Or am I am I wrong? They, no, I mean they've not retaliated against me yet. I mean they know what I'm doing. Don't get me wrong. They know that I'm out there, and they know that you know I'm writing. But thus far, I've you know, I've been protected. So, so yeah, nothing yet. And you think that that the reason there's been no retaliation, that you still have your job, et cetera, is because you are protected by a union, or do you think yes. that that the is it possible that the company has decided that let's just see how this works out, and we don't want to take any action against him? Uh, it's possible. I mean, it's very possible. Um, you know, I. I don't know what they're thinking. I know they know about me, and I, I'm pretty sure they know about me all the all the way up the the corporate ladder. Um, uh, but I, I mean, who who knows what's going to happen? I just uh, I, I do know that you know I, I talk to to a lawyer pretty frequently on on what is what is uh, what I can say and what I can't say, and um, I try to try to stick to that. So you know, have have any of the executives of the company talked to you? Um, no, they have not. They have not. I've 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 had some interesting phrases thrown at me, and they're called captive audience meetings. When you when you get sat down in a hotel, and the the hotel it's union busting essentially is what it is. And I've had my phrases thrown back at me that I've that I've done in writing, the verbatim verbatim phrases in my writings that have been thrown back at me. So it's kind of they're, they're tactics. There's there's some tactics going on there, but nothing um nothing right directly to my face. No. Okay, well, then, and your boss hasn't said anything to you. You're still working. Just go in and do your job, and that's that, huh? That's correct. It's a very, uh, it's a very Jekyll and Hyde mentality. <laughs> I'm 
be interesting you know, who's Jekyll and who's Hyde, but we'll we'll, we'll leave that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to take a, a a quick break, uh, Jim. I want to thank you for being with us. Thank hey, you, Jim. Keep us posted. It sounds like it's really going to be some interesting developments. I will. Thank you, gentlemen. Right. Yes, uh, that's uh, Jim Lair Beard, and you can follow Jim at fryingpannews.org. We're going to take a very short break and uh, come back and wrap up the show. So stay tuned. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Can you hear me? Yes, Patrick. Okay, all right. Uh, the, the board is doing funny things, but we're back. You're listening to uh, Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Block Talk Radio Network, Cyber Station USA, and our radio affiliates. I thought that was kind of inter- very interesting, actually, and I do want to find out what goes on with that. It, it seems like that Hyatt is being very restrained about this, and maybe they want to see how this, this plays out, too. I think that Hyatt dealt with the problem is what happened. And there's nothing really going on. I mean, they, it was. I think he's trying to make a case. It was not necessary. He probably could have had the union handle it, or he could have had his boss handle it. And uh, you know, it's 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 you know, he's. I think he's trying to make something out of it, and he's trying to do it in a way that he wants to establish the right of people to attack their company while they work there. And I think that's wrong, in public. I mean, and I think that's wrong. Uh, you know, unless it's something that's so egregious. I mean, I could think of one example where, you know, this drug company was putting in faulty drugs in, in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you remember that case. Yeah, in a I factory do. there, and then they were yeah. reporting it into the United States. And mm-hmm. somebody blew the whistle on that, and it was, ended up on 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's important. I mean, I think those sorts of exposés are, are needed. But at the same time, the person doesn't work there anymore. I mean, they left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you don't exactly expect to go in the next day and, how are you today? And have you know? By the way, did you set up a nice coffee? Uh, let's go out and have coffee. I mean, you know what I mean? It's a, you know, it's a, it's tricky business. Yeah, the the employee employer relationship is is, is always um, uh, fraught with with various pitfalls. Uh, obviously, uh, I would think that uh, employees want the employer to do well. But the employer often does well by eliminating employees. So they're, unless the employees have stock in the company or something like that, their their interests aren't necessarily aligned. And uh, I, uh, but on the other hand, if you work for a person, you you, sh- you should a work for them, 
and B, you should uh, stick up for them. On the other hand, right. if if they're mistreating your employee, their fellow employees, or if they're mistreating the customers, or if they're breaking the law, I think as a citizen you have a right—not not a right, but an obligation—to say something. So this is the there's a lot of conflicting rights and duties here. And I well, you know, Patrick, you've talked about how companies are trying to eliminate as many people as they can. Of course, that's true. I mean, they're trying to save money. I mean, they're in business. Yeah. They want to produce something at, at the most profit. But the fact is that they need people anyways. They can't they, they can't just exist in the atmosphere. I mean, I suppose some companies can. But for the most part, they need as many people as they need, and they're going to employ as many people as they have to employ. And I think that issues that, um, that, that, that Jim is bringing up, I just think that those are things that could be dealt with internally and apparently have been dealt with yeah. internally. And I think that he has a bigger agenda there. I mean, you know, he and I think he alluded to that. You know, this idea that we have a right to, uh, you know, take on our companies publicly while we work there, which I don't agree with. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not a right. There's no such thing as that right. And there's nothing that's changed. And you know, this is a basic. I mean, that, that you have certain when you're involved with being employed by someone, you don't need the government to say this. You know, you there's a certain level of loyalty there. You know, I mean, and. You know, there's always that issue, like people writing books about, you know, for, about their, about a president after they leave the the White yeah. House. You know, it's a, kind a of mini like industry. Dirty, yeah, yeah, and it's spilling dirty laundry, and it's it's the way it goes. But they're not going to do it while they're there. <laughs> I mean, um, on the other hand, uh, I I am very concerned about the, uh, the 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 privatization of the Constitution. That corporations are force people to bargain away their constitutional rights if they want to buy a product, or if they want to work, and I I, I think there should be some control on that. I I don't think I, and I agree with you. You should not badmouth the company you're working for. But on the other hand, I I this seems to me that it's a that we're looking at a creeping privatization of the Constitution, and I really I, I really don't like that. But anyway, we're out of time That's today. You know, so, so just the, 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 the Constitution. Pro- the Constitution protects private rights. Yeah. It's not a privatization. People have companies have always retained the right to hire or fire whoever they want, and then to expect well, people to have a certain level of loyalty. Well, we'll have to discuss that tomorrow because we're at the end of the show. You've been listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick from Blog Talk Radio, Cyber Station USA, and our affiliates. Visit our website at www.fairnessradio.com and uh, sign up for our Twitter feed, too, while you're at it. Don't forget our website, and if you're on CyberStation USA's platform now, stay tuned for Mike Siegel. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.
Line of crosses in the past. Hour one, Jackie Salem will be with us. Why about where in the minutes are on the election. On the scene, hour one tomorrow, Jackie Salem. Hour two, like Robert Cooper. Then, of course, Friday, Stephen Fairing. And I was riding on. Right now. Good night, everybody. You're listening to Fairness Radio. I was thinking on the Looking out across the seas. Watching people turn.